he would honestly stir up conversations between the surfers. But, you know, maybe some of the surfers are a little bit nervous to go tell the boys, like, fuck, you guys' judging was whack. But Albie is no shame just going straight up to whoever he needs to go tell. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson. And this week on the show, as always, we have Big Dick Power Surfer Stabs editor, Mr. Brendan Buckley, to chat about the week in surfing and cover off all the news. After that, we have an interview with one of the finalists from Van Stab High, presented by Monster Energy, Costa Rica, Parker Coffin. And at the time of recording the Mexican, both of those interviews, the Mexican CT was yet to finish and the final of Stab High was also yet to air, so no one knew who won that. So you can still feel a little bit of the fizz and excitement of the unknown in, in both of these chats. And I won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen the final. Episode 5, Van Stab High, presented by Monster Energy, is there online ready for you to, to watch. So you can click on that in the episode description. That was pretty much as good as it gets, in my opinion, for a bad Pressure's coming down, final 24 hours. We also have another project launching this week by the name of S-U-R-F. And it's pretty much the exact opposite of Stab High, which is world-class surfers at the pointy end of progressive surfing. S-U-R-F, it's also a competition and it's also world-class surfers, but instead of them doing airs, it's, it's them doing weird shit. We, we've partnered with Byron Bay Brewery for this project and the entire thing is based in Byron Bay, Australia, and the surfers are all from... Byron as well. The, the surfers are Ozzy Wright, Solly Bailey, Jake Vincent, and Ari Brown. Each letter of the title stands for a different challenge that these surfers had to complete. And in each episode, they take on one of these challenges. S stands for space, which is a competition to see who can get the longest ride, which ends up being way longer than you think it would be. And U stands for uncover, where all the surfers were given $100 and a case of beer to try and find the best secondhand board they could using nothing more than than that money and that beer is their bargaining power. And then they had a surf comp on those boards in pumping surf. R stands for for resourcefulness and the resourcefulness challenges was actually pretty psycho. The, the surfers had to get two ends of different snap boards, boards that didn't match or line up at all in any way and find a way to stick them back together without any traditional surfboard repair materials. And then they had to ride these Frankenstein boards in fairly heavy pumping beach break waves, which was just a spectacle in itself. And then the last challenge starting with F was finless, which ended up being pretty psycho as well because one of the surfers, Ari Brown, is pretty much pretty widely regarded as the best finless surfer in the world, at least by me and a lot of people I chat to. So uh, watching them go bananas, finless to... To try as the final challenge, where they're they're all competing to try and win this thing, and the winner received ten grand. So that is out. We got pretty pumping ways for this series, and the surfers are all hilarious. So please watch that and let me know what you think. For now, let's chat to Brendan Buckley. So wait, so where are you this week? I'm in the nation of New Jersey, the very very beautiful place. Fresh, fresh from Italy. Yes. Previously France. 
Yes, yes. Um, all very similar. I'd say the Basque Coast of France, the Amalfi Coast of Italy, and the Jersey Shore. Just It's like the things that people think of together, you know? It's almost like a three-pack. It's like you can, <laughs> almost can't do two and not do the last one. And so I'm here now uh, keeping it alive, and it's it's going well. I don't think I've slept in about 24 hours. I stepped on a nail, I'm pretty sure, at some point. I might have tetanus. It's good. It's going really well. That is, that's beautiful. Well, yeah, we are at the time of recording. The Mexico event is getting towards the pointy end, but not done yet. Catch up on, on the news as it stands right now this second. Well, that's only the half of it. A huge one dropped today that not many people saw coming, and that is the outer known Tahiti Pro is canceled. Officially done. Done. Chopped. Over. State of emergency in Tahiti and it sounds like they just flat out said, no, you can't come here and run this contest. Yeah, I think that that's a blanket to everyone though, right? It's not just, they don't just hate surfers. It's, it's, uh, it's a ban on everyone, any, any foreign person. Yeah, and from what I understand, the surfers on tour heard about it yesterday. Like they got the news a little bit earlier, so they had some time to kind of prepare because it has such big like, like between the top five and also the requalification race, it's huge. Like people thought they had two events to try to shift up, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, just kidding! It's just this one now. Like, good luck. Go do some turns, please. Anyone that wasn't trying in Mexico suddenly is like, oh, wait a minute, this is my last shot. Listening to Eminem, going through that whole process. I 100% used to listen to that song before I'd surf like shitty amateur heats, by the way. Did you? And I'd hope that it was, oh, yeah. Oh, bad, bad. iPod Gen 1. Get it going. Oh, that's only the half of it. Jeremy Flores announced his retirement this week. It was kind of one of those you can't fire me, I, I quit situations. Uh-huh. Uh, he wasn't really looking like he was going to requalify, but he did announce like he'd been toying with retirement for the past few years and then this year he's like yeah and i'm i'm definitely leaving i'll see you guys yeah but he announced that earlier this week anytime i hear someone say that they've just gone through a breakup and they're, I'm, I'm like oh what happened they're like oh it was mutual instantly in my head i go you got broken up with anyone who's pulling the mutual card is typically on the other end of the of the decision and Either way, that's that's huge news for, for Jeremy. He's been on tour for so long and also huge news for France, which is your hometown at this point. Like Jeremy's fame in France and and what he what he means to the to the surfers in that country is it's kind of hard to fathom when you when you're not there. Is is that a, is that a correct read? Do you think do you think the French surfers will it'll be a huge deal for them to see Jeremy retire? I think so. I mean, a good way to look at it is he, when he won the Quick Pro France in 2019, they legitimately shut the town down, like shut down the main roads in Oscar, like couldn't drive through just to let everybody party. Like, like, and it's, would be annoying if you're trying to drive through. It was, (laughs) it was, it was massive, you know? And I think it was also one of the things where like certain things, like I, I think there's nights there where, where the cops are more lenient like, like I was there when France won the World Cup, and it was like you couldn't really get arrested that night. Like people were just climbing <laughs> on buses and doing all this shit, and like that was kind of how it worked. <laughs> like when Jeremy won, it was like you can't. Okay, like we're not bringing anybody to jail tonight, so 
let's just shut down the roads. You guys can do what you want. Have fun. Just try to be a little bit safe. And so I'd say, I'd say it's definitely huge for the community there. Yeah. Mikey Wright also announced that he's, I'm going to just put this one in, in quotations on in podcast things, which don't exist, but Mikey Wright announced his retirement from competitive surfing as well, which is pretty big. Like that's, that's wild. Who's going to take number 69 next? Do you think? <laughs> so now Matt Wilkinson was the, was the original 69 and then Mikey Wright grabbed that number. And I feel like Mikey, despite having some huge moments, was so plagued with injury over the last few years that he didn't really get to get to reach his full potential as a, as a tour surfer. And it's, it's disappointing that, uh, that he's walking away. Do we know why? I think he just wasn't into the whole competitive lifestyle. Like, I, I think he just got kind of sick of like, I think he just wants to go and chase good waves and try to make really good clips. And I think trying to do that at the same time, trying to balance that with, you know, going around and the world trying to get points that judges give you is hard. And I think he just wants to put his focus on the other side of surfing again, which I'm personally excited about. I think when he's on, when he's healthy, without a doubt, he's producing some of the best stuff that you can watch. I'm stoked that he's making video parts again. I love what he does with Wade Carroll. He's partner in crime there. And I think, I think he's, he, he, he's one of the few surfers where you can actually remember each one of his clips. And when they come out, they're really celebrated. And it's not easy to do. Even naming a clip at this point when there's so many web clips out there in the world and they're so frequent seems like a little bit naff to me. I'm like, oh, does it need a name? You know, it's just five minutes of you surfing and there's going to be another five minutes. And I guess you need to write something in Vimeo or YouTube. But when Mikey does it, I actually do remember the names and I remember the, the surfing more than anything. Yeah, and if he just gets healthy again and does that, then I think it's a win for surfing. I think there was almost like this expectation when he started competing that he was going to have that Dane-like thing where he really takes that thing that everybody was excited about and puts it on tour and put, makes it happen live in front of everybody and sometimes wins, sometimes loses. It's always fun to watch. That didn't really happen. He had, Like you said, he had moments like that, but that never happened on a big scale. And I do think a lot of that had to do with injuries, but I think with a more controlled kind of calendar – uh, we'll get back to some memorable clips. Although I can't help but think about like, I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but this thing on, I don't use Twitter, but I think it was like a Twitter thing. There's this thing that went off in the US about like nobody wants to work anymore. Where after, after like with everything that happened with the pandemic and maybe some people getting money from the government and all that, it's basically really hard to find people to fill a bunch of jobs right now, specifically like like kind of lower level jobs, like a cook or something. And so, yeah, there's this thing that nobody wants to work anymore. Even driving through Jersey today, there's so many like now hiring signs, even places offering like $500 bonuses for like random jobs. And there's a little bit of nobody wants to work anymore on tour this yeah, year. Yeah, for sure. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> It'll Which be is crazy. I know. It's wild to think, isn't it? Such a desired place to be that there's so few spots and people are just devoting their lives to try and get there. And then people are walking away at this point. I mean, 
for understandable reasons, there's a lot of there's a lot of sacrifices right now that there wasn't previously to following that tour around in terms of quarantine and just the difficulty of, of it all. But WSL is hiring. I mean, they're going to probably start having a big sign on the office at some point, Surfers Wanted. They should. That's a really good idea. I guess that's what they're doing with Ultimate Surfer, you yeah. know, which is going to be stunning and brave. Have you watched that yet? Ooh. <laughs> Don't want to talk about kinda, it? Kind of. Kind of. I may have seen episodes early from sources which I will not mention because it was a really locked down server thing that I was able to view it from. Are you Julian Assange? So, I am. You're the and Julian Edward Assange Snowden. of surfing, huh? Uh, and Edward Snowden. Um, I did, I maybe saw some classified information and it is as bad as we all expected. <laughs> all right. It's exactly what, it's exactly what you think it is, right? It's made for people that like, it can't, it can be anything. It could be cooking. It could be UFC fighting. It could, this thing doesn't matter. It's just, they're trying to make drama happen and people are going to try to have sex and people might fight. It's stupid. Yeah. But it sucks you in and you feel bad about yourself. And it's a vicious cycle. And that's what it is. Oh, I can't wait to hate but myself. That's just in theory. You know, that's just saying maybe. Allegedly. Allegedly. Oh, that's only the half of it. Kelly Slater seems to very much not be retiring. Uh, Jeremy, for some perspective, is 33. Mm-hmm. Mikey's retirement's a little bit different because it's more almost like he's kind of testing out the tour and maybe found out it wasn't for him. But. 33 seems like a fair age. It seems like a normal age for people to kind of say goodbye to competitive surfing. Kelly turns 50 next year and is already dropping signs that he wants to be competing for another world title, which is just fucking outrageous. Yeah, the Adonine Pro being cancelled is such a bummer because I think a lot of people would actually put money for him in that event if there was a decent forecast. And this little run, despite not surfing, the front half of the year with these injured talent that he's been hobbling around on for a little while now. He just looks so crispy. He really did in Mexico. Like he, he looked as good. It looked, it seemed like, holy shit, a different level of Kelly's back. Like something we hadn't seen in a while. And he made that remark about, which is weird because we heard that the surfers found out yesterday. Maybe it was a thing where they found out yesterday afternoon and Kelly surfed in the morning, but he did have that post-season interview where he said, if I get a good result here in Tahiti, I could be in the top five. And to see that he was thinking about that at 49 when like everybody else is like, yeah, I'm done. I did this for like five years. I'm good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, uh, and I saw Steph Gilmore's heat this morning and she's obviously a lot younger, but she's like Kelly got a million world titles and I'm always so impressed with a level of hunger that someone can have when they've already had so much to eat. And Kelly, he, he, I just, he's so insatiable and his hunger and especially his obsession with surfboards and surfing in general, it's, it's pretty inspiring. Just a quick funny one, but a story that strangely caught fire for us this week is a surfing Bitcoin conference that we made fun of on the internet and a lot of people clicked on. What do you it make of it? Is, 
Well, I have a different relationship with it because it is at the wave that I surf every single day when I'm home. It's at the wave that I live a walking distance to and and love. Well, so and wait a minute. Before we wait, what is it? Can you just explain this thing to me and, and any of the listeners who who haven't caught this story this week? It's a Bitcoin conference that is expected to draw a thousand to fifteen hundred people. And it's held at this this center that's right on the beach at like one of the more famous waves in France. And it's called surfing Bitcoin. I don't know how much surfing is actually involved. We made fun of it, but you'd have to imagine some of these Bitcoiners will be out there surfing, which is terrifying. I won't be in town for it. (laughs) But the idea of loading up a building that like literally is like on the beach, like it's, it's, you're overlooking the waves from the building uh, having a surfing Bitcoin conference that draws 1,500 people <laughs> and just sets them loose before and after it is terrifying to me. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I won't be in town to report on it. Oh, that but is devastating. I was at a party anytime, one- Sorry, you go. Go ahead. No, you go. I was just going to say, anytime, for reasons that are, I just can't figure out, anytime you are somehow able to combine surfing and Bitcoins, <laughs> in an article title on stab a lot of people read it i have no idea why but uh yeah it that one took off for us to speak for for some reason i was at a party once and i was making fun of this girl who was really into star signs and she said well do you believe in bitcoin and i was like well yeah like that's a real thing that exists it's measurable and she's like bitcoin's just star signs for boys <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's her logic. I liked it. Well, that's only the half of it. Soon after we speak, the final episode of Stab High will air. Somebody, either Ian Crane, Ethan Osborne, oh, sorry, either Ian Crane, Aton Osborne, Parker Kaufman, Matt Viola, or Roster Robbie McCormick will be your 2021 Van Stab High Central America presented by Monster Energy 2021 in the future era real contest champion. Sorry, I should just not. It, it was too many words. I started going with it. I might redo that. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I actually had Parker on the, uh, as an interview that'll be attached to this episode and, and he's in the final and it's a pretty unique, it's a pretty unique approach to Van Stab High presented by Monster Energy this year where the, the trip happened in Costa Rica. You were one of the judges. And then the final day, the some surfers made the final and that final day was surfed. And now it's playing as a live event where the audience will judge and decide the winner. It was really interesting being there for the final. It's something I've said on this podcast before, but the feeling of it, that mix of it being a surf comp, but also feeling like the trip, what, feeling just like a surf trip, you know, was so was almost magnified on the final day, especially because we eliminated it down to just these last five surfers. Everyone is still, you just didn't really know. Like you went to bed the night before and you didn't really know how everybody was going to play it, especially how everybody was going to play it collectively. And it seemed like everybody was kind of, everybody was still getting waves that wasn't in the final, but they're kind of just like looking at the surfers, like being like, are you going to surf now? Or are you going to like wait it out? Like 
I think Parker had a big long nap in the middle of the day. Like just like it's the finals on. <laughs> it was it was just this bizarre dynamic, which I thought was so cool because it is such a if you think about the ways to try to like just figure out what the best surfing is, I think this is such a cool way to do it. Yeah, a surf like, comp over an extended amount of time. So how long was it, did you say? The the whole the they, whole final? They had a day. They had sun they had up to sundown. They had a whole day, sun up to sundown. Wow. And do you, did you happen to see some, some moments where you think you know who's going to win or is it just all up in the air right now? I could make a prediction if we'd like to. Go um, for it. I mean, this, it will have aired by the time this comes out, but the audience can, can see if you're right. I would be surprised if Miola doesn't win. Yep. He, he had a good showing on the final day. The cool thing is it is judged by the audience and this is not new for us. Anytime we've done it in the past, it's spot on. Uh, I don't think anybody really disagrees. I think the cool thing about surfing is that it's not like a typical sport where you're just like watching it from your couch. Like anybody who's watching surfing is watching surfing because they like to surf. And so I think when you like to surf, you have, you know, you have a good idea of what it should be. You're not just a fucking cowboy. And so we'll see. I mean, there's everybody... It was a really good final, but if I was a betting man, which I often am, <laughs> I'd go Miola. All right. Um, well, I guess watching this now, if you haven't seen that, you can still watch the broadcast on Stab's site, but you won't be able to vote because you blew it if you, if you didn't do it at the time. Ooh, and we've got a really good surf in this week. This one I feel like is going to hit home for a lot of people. I think it's something that's like really common in surfing. And so let's have a listen because this is going to make you think. All right. What, and can you just explain quickly, Bark, this is your concept. We're here helping the masses, the listeners of this podcast. But for anyone who hasn't previously heard what a surf scene is and how this concept works, can you give them a quick rundown? Oh, of course. So Danny and I, what we want to do is we want to send you forward on your healing journey. And the way that we want to do that is we have given you a platform to confess the biggest sins that you've committed in and around surfing. And so what you can do is you can send us a voice note and share your confession with us. We will listen to it with open hearts, open minds, and then we will tell you your penance so that you can start that healing journey and forgive yourself and feel better, feel happier, get less stressed. Get it all below the neck again, you know? (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, this week's surf scene is from Thomas Anderson. Let's have a listen. Yeah, boys. Loving what you're doing and loving the opportunity to cleanse my sins. My surf scene is that at a local board artist comp, about a year ago, I'd snapped my board and a mate of mine lent me his. It's probably, yeah, a year on now and I've still got my mate's board. In the process, copped a couple little dings and I've ultimately decided to get it professionally fixed, largely due to my own lackluster skill and general nincompoopery. So, yeah, what is the penance required for not giving that board back or taking a year to fix it 
and just letting that be the elephant in the room every time I go surfing with a mate of mine. Also, what are some of the best upfront frameworks for borrowing mate surfboards? Thanks, boys. Appreciate your work. All right, Buck. That one, you could feel a little, a little pain in, in, the, in the vocal cords there. What do, you, what do you make of that? It's complex. If you can go a year without riding a surfboard that you own, you don't need that board. Like a year exposes you to every surf season. So if the guy hasn't came at him to try to get this board back really in the year, then you don't deserve to own that board. Like you had 365 days, you've had all these different swells, opportunities, but this is still a sin through and through. Yeah. And it is, it is a sin because I, I believe we exist in this kind of economy where you're allowed to steal stuff from your friends as long as things are being stolen from you. You need this kind of in and out cycle. Yes. Right? And so for him to take a board, as long if he had one going the other way, it'd be fine. That's all he needs to do. And so that is what I would recommend as a penance for him is to make sure he can get a board. He's going to keep his buddy's ones. He don't even fix it. Don't bother. Who cares? Let it get take water. Who cares? It's yours now. And you're bad at taking care of things probably. So who cares? Just make sure another one of your friends, it can't be the same guy that you stole from. It has to be another person steals a board from you. Yes. The circle of life. I 100% agree. My read's pretty similar to yours. These laws vary country to country, but there's something in Australia called squatter's rights. And so if you go live in an abandoned building for a little while, if you live there long enough and you can prove it, you can actually own that building. And I know that happens on varying levels worldwide. And that surfboard, my friend Thomas Anderson, is yours. Uh, I think the real problem here though is that guy that you supposedly still hang out with, but feel a little bit of remorse but not enough to give that board back or even get it fixed and get it back to him is you're lacking a bit of love for this guy so i think while it is a crime and it is a sin i think the real thing here isn't about the surfboard but it's about friendship and so i think your punishment is for the next 22 surfs you have to do it with that friend and you have to ride that board because we can't hide this we can't hide this little thing away and and shove it into uh, the corner of our minds and pretend it doesn't exist. You need to ride that board. You need to pull it out of your car. You're not allowed to mention it, but you need to pull it out of your car, wax it up in front of your friend who you surf with and only surf with, and then look him in the eye and say, how are we, man? He could even go so far as to paint it, I think. He could just (laughs) give it a cool spray and just still not mention it. But I like that. I think the next 22 surfs together, everybody wins there. You know, nobody... Nobody loses except for maybe the guy who lost the surfboard, but another board will come this guy's way as long as Thomas puts in the work and makes sure that the cycle is continuing to churn with a different board. I love it. I think we solved that problem. I think we've, we've cleansed another soul with another surf since this week, but any, any last words? Ooh, ooh, actually I do have a last word. He mentioned something at the end there and I think he asked for tips on to just like how to go about borrowing a board in general. Uh-huh. And so a last word on that is that he said how to do it up front, I think. Never do it up front. What you want to <laughs> do 
is you always want to make it seem like it's your friend's idea. Like, just kind of toy around the board and be like, oh, yeah, you looked like you had so much speed on it. Like, just wow. Like, you have to always make it. I've been looking to, like, I've always wondered how these kind of boards would go. Yeah, and you have to make your friend seem like, that's the number one rule in borrowing a board is make it seem like it's your friend who you're borrowing is from idea. Yes. One of my friends, every day I would be eating my lunch and his line every time was, oh, what's that taste like? And it was just so hard not to give him a bite of my sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a a quad, huh? Oh, wow. (laughs) That was fun. Wow, nice. That's so good that you bought that. Smart. Thanks, Buck. And if you have a surf scene that you need to get off your chest, if you're carrying around some guilt that you need to have absolved from your life, then please record a voice memo around 30 seconds or so and send it on through to either myself or Buck. Both of our emails are in the episode description. And get cleansed. Get, uh, I mean, you will be punished, but you will also be cleansed, which is the main thing. For now, it's time to chat with Parker Coffin. And Parker's 25 years old. He's from Santa Barbara. And most people know he's the brother of Connor Coffin, who just qualified for the first ever surf off at Trestles, the final five, which is a huge achievement in itself, I guess. But Parker's on a completely different program. He's exclusively free surfing these days, has done so for three years. And, and he doesn't have that, that classic Tom Curran-inspired priority for rail surfing like his brother does. He can definitely move some water around but he, he's a lot more high fire than his brother and I mean hence he just made the final of step high and so basically tomorrow's a five man final stab high just went from a four man final to a five man final the leader's scores are getting set back to zero and we'll start with a clean slate Ian Crane, Roster Rob, Parker Coffin, Aton Osborne and Matt Miola will all have 24 hours to land their best right and left air to become the Stab High Central America champion, which will be decided live by our viewers. Right now, at the time of recording, it's uh, we're four episodes into Van Stab High, presented by Monster Energy. They've they've all aired, and uh, the final, a live screening of a previously surfed day, which is going to be audience judges playing tomorrow night. And you're in the final. Are, are you going to win? <laughs> I would love to win. That would be amazing. Uh, I wish I had a better final day to be completely honest. I, I did one pretty good air on the left, but the way the format was, you had to do a left and a right. So I had one pretty good left that I was pretty pumped on, but, and I came close to so many rights, but I just never made the right. Um, I think Neola had two makes, so he's looking pretty good. And then crane did a crazy air in the final that I would imagine has to be pretty close to a perfect score. So I don't know if I won, but I was stoked to be there and super pumped to be a part of the final. Just the guys are going ape shit. It was so fun to be around. But you're not feeling, you're not feeling confident for tomorrow night. <laughs> uh, no, nah, probably not. You know, I, I think if I pulled one of the, the airs that I was coming close to on the rights, then I would have had a pretty solid shot. But I think, I mean, I don't know, I guess it's viewer judging. So you never really know. Yeah, they might just uh, love you because because they love you. It could be just completely biased and the worst system ever. I'd be but. cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally be all right if I won. I could tell you that much. <laughs> who, who did you Who did you vote for in the Monster Air? Uh, I you know I actually that was 
a big deal for me having to put my vote on either Aton or Matt, just because I felt like I appreciated Matt's air so much because I was trying to hit the same sections backside and just seeing what he was doing and the waves that we were surfing really made it clear how gnarly he actually is and what he's looking for in an air section is different than I feel like what most people are looking for in air sections. Um, but I ended up voting for Aton because he had a broken foot mm. and was just going psycho. And I felt like that, um, that kind of just showcased how nutty he is. You know, he could just override how much pain he was in and just literally his foot was sideways. Yeah. And it looked disgusting when he came in the water that time and his, fan, oh. his foot was all bent up. I couldn't believe he went back out there for one. Cause he was that, yeah. he was that determined. But then secondly, that he was able to do that air. It was such a, such heavy landings over there on that beach break. Everyone was landing like down in the flats. I know your big reverse was way down in the flats. Uh, how hairy were, were the landings? Yeah, that place, the way that the wave was, was really interesting because the wave was kind of soft as you were hitting the lip, but it would have this really intense explosion when you were coming down with the lip. So it was kind of hard to get enough projection off the lip to, to go high enough to kind of beat that landing. But if you could kind of ride the lip line and go out, that was kind of your best case in trying to land something. Uh, and you could see the majority of the best airs that were done in the trip, I felt were landed in the flats. And I feel like now the majority of the best airs in the world are to the flats and guys are just getting really confident with just really sticking landings and being super confident in the air and, committing to the, the lift off the lip, which is one thing, and then really committing to the landing. And that was what I thought the biggest thing of stab high, what showed me was just how committed guys were to hucking themselves and everybody was just treating their bodies like carcasses. So it was pretty yeah. fun to be around. Man, uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't just Aton. There was so many injuries. I'm always, yeah. When I watch people... When I watch people surf in, in real life and, and going for giant airs, it's it's always so horrifying and all my fears were confirmed watching this series because so many people were just – they were just dropping like flies with really like serious injuries. And how hard is it to, to manage that fear as you're, you, you're trying to win a comp, you're trying to surf your best, but you, you just know that you, you have to basically risk your body every time? Yeah. And surfing's so funny too, because you could be taken off on a wave and looking at the section coming towards you and think one thing. And by the time you bottom turn, hit the section and get in the air, something can completely change because we're, we're dealing with a constantly moving terrain. So there's really this kind of short reaction time that you have to be able to have either where you're going to bail or you're going to just commit hundred percent and kind of go for it. And that particular wave, that time, it felt like even shorter than at other places. So there was definitely a little bit of uneasiness every time you were going out and trying to hit a section that you thought might look good and then it would change. And, um, but I don't know the, it was honestly so good just being around everybody. Cause everybody was in the same boat of just going for it. And you just didn't feel right if you weren't doing the same thing. So I felt like it really elevated everybody as a collective group to just be sending it and trying their best to land it. And um, that's, I think, why so many guys got hurt because guys just wanted it so bad on that trip and everybody really tried to push themselves, which was really cool. And you showed up a little bit late. You, you actually came into it with an injury. You had a neck injury and you had to get some <laughs> yeah. treatment and hang around. When you first rolled in, what was the, what was the vibe like? Who were the alpha dogs that, had, that were kicking around the roosters? clucking their 
clucking their necks when you first got in there? Um, I, it was so fun though, because everybody was just in such good spirits to be there that it wasn't like there was one super alpha dog that was really just staking his claim that he was there to win. I think everybody just sensed COVID and was just excited to be on a trip and to be featured in such a cool event. And I felt like it was pretty clear within the first couple of days that Mateus Hurdy was a serious factor. Um, same with Miola, you know, and, and you couldn't count out guys like Albie just by what they've done in the past. So there was definitely a handful of guys that you knew are really, really good at aerial surfing. But then there was other guys that I kind of showed up where I was like, Oh wow. He looks like he's just on, like he's got really good boards. And, and that was kind of Ian Crane. I felt that way about Ian Crane from the first time I saw him surf on that trip. I was like, wow, Crane looks like he's just on a good one. He's got good boards. He looks confident. Um, I'm trying to think, Oh, uh, roster Rob actually too. Like when that guy showed up, I'm like, all right, this dude's for real. He's here with one goal in mind and he's going to, no one knew who he was. You know, I, I had known who he was just because, of uh, a couple friends told me in Florida how good he was. And I started following him on Instagram, but that guy, I felt like he showed up and he showed up letting people know that he was a serious player in, in potentially winning stab high. So that was really cool. Yeah. He's got a serious uh, amount of chat going after, after, uh, after this series and as does Mateus, He's he's impressed a lot of people, and especially I can't remember what episode it was in. I think it was fourth where they really break down the make rates, and mm-hmm. both those guys were really up there. If Mateus didn't didn't get injured, do you think he would have been a pretty solid threat in the final? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I feel like Mateus is a pretty solid threat, and whatever you'd throw at him, you know, he's such a well-rounded surfer, and his make ratio is unbelievable. His make ratio was so crazy that he was doing multiple airs on one wave, and. Um, and then it was cool though, because you could see how the make ratio would help, but then you would have these guys that would just be going for these hail Mary errors. And that was kind of more Miola's strategy is he's just going straight hail Mary and you might fall a hundred times, but if you land that one and you almost get a perfect score, then, you know, you have two weeks. That was what was so cool about it. So your make ratio, it mattered, but at the same time, you had such a long period to try to get your tricks that you could just kind of keep going and going and going and try your hardest to do something huge and hopefully land it within the waiting period. So there was kind of the make ratio is important because it was really just, okay, these guys are super gnarly, but then there's the guys that might not have been landing that much that were going to, when they did make something, it was going to be pretty groundbreaking. Yeah. The make rate, it's, it's a point of interest because it, it's kind of fascinating because you don't get to see that. So to really have it documented and to have those stats on hand is pretty interesting. But in terms of the comp, it doesn't mean shit. If you, if someone lands the biggest one, then they land the biggest one. Was, was, totally. was, um, was there anyone out of the ladybirds that was particularly confident or, or looking like a dominant force? Uh, yeah, I would say that Aaron probably, I think just given by how much hype she's gotten, she knew she was going into it pretty confident in her ability, but I mean, you definitely couldn't count out Katie Simmers, the whole event. I mean, all the girls, honestly, like Bella Kenworthy, Bella Nalu, Zoe was like the coolest surfer at the entire thing. She was so small and she was sending it. So, but I definitely felt like Aaron had a, maybe a little bit of that alpha dog vibe compared to the other girls. Well, she started um, so strong that she did that air in the first yeah. on the first day, and totally. So it, it'd be pretty hard to to not be feeling pretty confident after that. Hey, yeah. how was it having 
So Gabby Medina's sister was there, Sophia Medina, and Charlie. Oh, I her name in that list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Charlie was there as well. How yeah. weird was it having Charlie uh, at an air event? It was actually super cool. I had I had spent little bits and pieces around him just by being at the tour events with my brother and. I had never really gone much further than just smiling and kind of waving at him. And a couple of different times throughout the event, we had a couple of really cool conversations and I felt like he was just genuinely really excited for Sophia to be there. And I think where girls surfing is going is really kind of rewarding that progressive surfing. And you could tell that he's a really calculated coach and by her being there, um, he was hoping for her to just watch and learn. And I think, um, you know, th- he's, he's just really smart and he was there. You could see he was watching the lineup more than anybody. He was really in tune with just kind of helping her where she could catch the best waves for her to try to do an air. Um, and so, yeah, I actually, I, it was different that he was there because you so used to seeing him in, in like a WCT environment, but felt like, he was really cool and he was really supportive of Sophia and yeah, it was fun to have him there. Yeah. He seems like such a good guy. You might've got to see what I've always wanted to see though, because you were staying with him. To me, he always looks like he just woke up. He's kind of got that kind of like sleepy, relaxed look. <laughs> what does he look like when he actually just woke up? I don't know. We were actually in different houses. They, the ladybirds had their own house and then I was staying in kind of like the main house with all the other servers, but they would pretty much wake up and just show up at the house every morning. It was pretty intense, actually. Like the first couple of days I had to totally get used to it because I'd wake up, you'd go downstairs and there's like a 50 person coffee party going on downstairs and everybody's just frothing, having coffee, like going. And I just wake up, I'm a slow riser. So I was the guy that was looking like he was half asleep, probably (laughs) more than he was, but yeah, I don't know. I I didn't. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I think he was all good though. How did you feel about the judging? So you, there's five judges and it's they're there interacting with everyone the whole time, but then they would sneak away into another room and they would allocate these scores. And you had one of the be- one of the highest scores that got you into the final. Your, I think your backhand reverse got a 37. When you heard that and you found out what your score was, were you like, yeah, that was right? Or were you like, come on, that could have been worth more? Or did the judging make sense to you? Um, I thought, yeah, on a a whole spectrum. The judging was really good throughout the whole event. I honestly felt like my airs and I don't know, maybe it was just me being weird and hard on myself. I felt like almost I was maybe getting overscored when I go back and I watch the clips. I just feel like so many guys were doing so many sick airs. Are you um, one of those, are you one of those self haters that just like, no matter yeah. what you do, <laughs> you just yeah, yourself? I am. Yeah, I am. But at the same time, like I felt like it was really fair, you know, and they kept a good scale throughout the whole event. And there were certain things that you could tell that they were clearly rewarding more than other things. And because the landings were so hard, I felt like they were really rewarding clean landings. And I felt like that was probably what benefited my scores the most was that maybe I wasn't doing the most high technical crazy airs, but most of or my two scores that got me into the final, they were just clean landings. And I think that those guys appreciated that. So and kind of reviewing my clips from, from you know, after the fact, going back, watching the episodes and stuff, I think that was probably where I got my scores from. Um, but there was definitely plenty of debate, you know, because there's so many different things you can do and waves also dictate what you can do a lot. So 
there'd be, I mean, you know, in that episode four, you can see the kind of debate between the monster air, whether it should be high off the lip or if it should just be based off of magnitude. And that was something that collectively the surfers all came together and decided, Hey, look, going high is really cool, but you can like, when you see a crazy, crazy air, it's almost like you feel it and you're like, wow, that was insane. You know? And that was what Nate Fletcher kind of, uh, coined magnitude is like something that you just watch and you just feel it. And you're like, wow, that was insane. Whether that was high or just super technical or whatever. So that was definitely a debate. Out of all the surfers, who were the most vocal and opinionated when it came to those discussions? Albie Lair. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we love him though. And it was so good that he was because he would honestly stir up conversations between the surfers, but you know, maybe some of the surfers are a little bit nervous to go, tell the boys like, fuck you guys' judging was whack, but Albie is no shame just going straight up to whoever he needs to go tell if he has a disagreement with them. And um, I felt like Albie was, Albie and Matt were a big reason why the Monster Air ended up being judged by surfers. And, you know, we were out there surfing the same conditions and we know what, what, how hard it is to perform out there and what we think is higher degree of difficulty. So that was cool. And I felt like Albie really kind of stood up for a lot of us throughout the whole trip, which was really cool. Yeah. One of the, one of the great things about people that have strong opinions is it means that decisions get made and, and, and things happen kind of quickly. You know what I mean? If everyone's a little bit like, oh yeah, I don't know. Magnitude is important, but also like, it's kind of, it's nothing ever happens. So when you've got those people around with strong opinions, uh, you know, it might ruffle some feathers, but it's, it is pretty effective. Yeah. So he was good. He was a great great cast member on the trip. <laughs> yeah. He's, I, I knew you were going to say Albie without, before I even <laughs> asked, but I just, I just had to ask, was there anyone else who was particularly invested in, in that discussion? Um, Matt was too, I would say. Matt's like, so I mean, biased kinda, though. Cause he had an air that was yeah, in the conversation. So you can't listen to Matt. I know, but it was actually really cool because amongst that whole disagreement on that, Matt went out of his way to go tell Mateus, Hey dude, look, I'm not trying to bash you. I just want this to be the most real version of what we're doing. And I'm not trying to put you down and put myself up. I just want this to go how I think it should go to better the sport of surfing. And he was really vocal about that too. And I think that that was received well by Mateus and honestly received well by everybody. Because if you were looking at that from the outside, you would think like, well, yeah, of course this guy's going to say that he wants that air to be better because you're whatever, you know, just to try to lobby himself higher. But it didn't come from a place of that. It really came from just a place of, hey, we know what's going on and it doesn't have to just be height because the progression of aerial surfing is just going to be going off of, you know, doing it on crazy waves, which I agree with. The future of the sport is going to be kind of doing errors in bigger waves because you can go higher and you can spin more and it just looks more dramatic. So um, it didn't take a whole lot of convincing yeah. for everybody. Hey, on that, Matthias is a pretty different archetype of surfer from everyone else there. He's, I mean, he's in the CT event right now. He just won his heat today. He's quite clean cut. He's incredibly like good looking. I'm assuming a lot of people might've even been jealous of his um, his attractiveness. Was he... Was he almost like an odd one out in, in the group dynamic there? That's kind of what I was reading from watching it, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell. I mean, you were there. Is, was he, did he mingle with everyone or was he kind of on his own program a little bit? 
Um, I felt like he was mingling with everybody. I definitely hung out with Mateus a lot. I actually, because he was surfing so well, I kind of made a point to just ask him a bunch of questions and I was probably borderline almost annoying, but, um, it was really fun for me to kind of have those like surf nerd conversations with him because he's just super into it. That kid wants to be really, really good. And he's really trying to progress. That's every single session he has it's to progress. And, um, just kind of talking to him about what he's trying to learn, how to work on or whatever, you know, and he was really cool about just explaining what Brazilian surfers try to improve on the most. And the thing that I kind of walked away with the most was how he just kept saying, yeah, Brazilian surfers, our main goal is to just be adaptable. So that's kind of what he was explaining to me, how in those waves and what he does with his surfing, everything's always changing in Brazil, the conditions, the wind, the current, whatever. So Brazilians really learn how to adapt to the conditions and be able to kind of, you know, change as the conditions change. And, um, he was really open about everything he's working on and any pointers he had for me. It was really cool. So I felt like I hung out with Mateus a lot. Yeah. Right. And where did he learn that sort of stuff? Because what he's saying just makes so much sense and you can see it based on the statistics with Gabby, Italo, Felipe, that they're all super consistent and that's probably a, a huge part of their success or their current their current domination of the tour rankings. Where did he learn that from? Or is, is that purely just something that they learned from the conditions there? Um, I think also kind of that similar openness that he had about sharing how to improve. I think a lot of those guys have amongst each other. So if, you know, you have amazing people like Gabriel that are willing to share pieces of information that you can take and apply to yourself. I felt like that's kind of how they roll. They're a team, you know, they want each other to succeed that like Gabriel and those guys, they want Mateus on tour because it's another person representing their country. And, um, yeah, so I I don't know. I feel like they're pretty inclusive with each other and, you know, they're willing to pass on knowledge to help each other improve, which is super cool. It's really admirable actually, because I'm from California and guys definitely don't do that here. (laughs) (laughs) Some guys do, but you know, they have a culture around that, which is really cool. Yeah, that is that is impressive for sure. And something I admire about you is that you're not ashamed to admit that you care and that you're trying to get better. And, and I've heard anecdotes about you with this journal where you, you write down goals and notes and ideas. And I know with your snapped part that you knew exactly what you wanted your surf section to be. You knew how many barrels, how many airs, uh, how many turns and the type of surfing that you wanted to do there. What sort of things did you write in that journal coming into Van Stab High presented by Monster Energy? Um, well, yeah, I mean, journaling has just been a pretty big tool for me over the years. And I mean, regard to my surfing and also just life, you know, like if I can just get things out of my head and get them on paper, or if I can take the time to sit and really kind of think about how I would like things to play out and just get them in writing, I feel like it does something if I just get it in physical form and I can just look at it and have something fun to kind of focus and visualize on. Um, for me going into stab high, I just tried to really make sure that I could be nice to myself because I was coming off that pretty serious neck injury. And I didn't really even know if I was going to be able to surf in the event. And majority of my journaling was kind of just based off how I was really excited to be there and how it was a great opportunity for me to be included with the list of surfers that were there. And if I got to surf great, and if I didn't, I could at least watch the world's best aerial surfers, just go at it and pick up pieces and learn. And um, 
so yeah, I don't know. And then I actually, I was serving really shit the whole trip <laughs> and I started just doing these like little creative writing exercises of like, all right, well, I'm just going to go step by step. Like if I got a, a killer straighter section, what my straighter would look and feel like. So I would just write a little page on that. And it's pretty powerful stuff though. You know, if you write stuff down and feel like more often than not, it ends up kind of coming true. And I wrote this whole little thing about my straighter and I went out the next morning and I got my straighter that qualified me for the final. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's just become a tool that I, I like to rely on and for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, it's it's not uncommon around really successful people. I remember interviewing Mick Fanning once and and he just mentioned that he has all his goals on his in his bedroom just stuck on the wall. Like so he sees them constantly and he has that level of focus. I mean, who knows how it works? I mean, it could just simply be um, a, a way of focusing thoughts because I think our brains are just such a soup of, of unconcentrated ideas just floating around. But whenever you write them, whenever you start to write things down, it it solidifies things a little bit and, and gives you a clarity that you don't always have. And then it's it's kind of done and, and and it's set, you know. And if you continue to do that, it just gives you like a level of focus that you don't have otherwise. Sorry, I'm just I'm kind of just talking to myself right now because I'm realizing I should just <laughs> take a leaf out of your book and write more things down. But. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because it's one of those things that it's actually... And for myself included, it's hard to create the time to do it. And it's kind of one of those things that you're like, ah, should I do it? And then you're like, nah, I'll just do it tomorrow. But if you can take that time to actually do it, it, you know, it, it, and then it's kind of funny. It's like a chain reaction. Like you do one and you're like, oh, wow, I actually really enjoyed that. Yeah. Better after that. And then that little kind of feeling of fulfillment carries on and you might want to do it a little bit more the next day. And it's kind of a rhythmic thing. Once you get into the rhythm of, doing a little journal, then it's easier to do it again. And when you're out of the, the rhythm, it's harder to get back into it. So yeah. you just kind of got to start and whatever, everybody, that's what my rule for myself is, is it could be one sentence. Mm. All it could be like, you could literally just sit there and write one sentence and it could be productive for you. So yeah, I, actually you just, you're just kind of prompting a lot of ideas in my head. I remember I interviewed Jared House once and Jared was a world tour surfer for a long time and, and really achieved and this is his words, like beyond what his skill level might have got him to do. And he said he grew up in Adelaide in the very bottom of Australia where no pro surfers come from ever. It's such a few pro surfers have ever come from that area and he would compete against, you know, people from Queensland and New South Wales, these other states in Australia when he was coming up and he just had no confidence and he used to just punish himself all the time. And he said that the sports psychologist just taught him to write down at the end of each day five things he did well and two things he could work on. And I think that ratio of being not hard on himself and, and focusing on the things he did well, you could sort of really see his progression and it would give mm. him some sort of momentum. And then even just the phrasing of things he could do better rather than things he did bad, you know, was, was helpful. And I remember I did that for a little while. That was years ago after I interviewed him. And man, my head noise was so much, so much better. It was so much more reined in, you know, I wasn't hammering myself as much, but um, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm taking away from this chat. I'm going to start, I'm going to start writing <laughs> shit down. Yeah, I, it's cool. And I, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that it can't hurt. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. If if I have the time to do it, then I like to do it. And um, I've found success in it. And it's kind of one of those tools that I rely on now, which is which is nice. And any other any other things about Stab High that we haven't talked about? Um my kind of main takeaway from that experience was how rad it is that there's a new platform out there for us, you know, yeah. because 
in the years past, it's really been the WSL or nothing, you know, and it's been, I've been a free surfer for about three years now and it's hard without having a true platform, you know, and it's really refreshing as a surfer. That's a free surfer to have someone like stab being like, all right, surfers, let's hear it. I want to hear all your stupid, crazy ideas and let's try to make sense of it. And let's try to make you guys pumped because you guys are the ones that are in and around this industry. The most, you guys care a lot about what you're doing. So let's hear it. Like bring forth your ideas. We'll all sit down. We'll have a couple powwows and let's try to make this thing really, really cool. And I felt like that opportunity to just have your voice be heard was really special. And I can't say that I'd ever had that ever before in any other event or competition. And, you know, that's, that's like a big two thumbs up to stab for, for being willing to invite us and then not only invite us, but listen to us. And, you know, I think that that's really how the progression of the sport's going to go and how people are going to become more attached to professional surfing is by really appreciating it for what it is no better way than to hear it from the surfers that are doing it 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 thanks parker that's all we have for this week don't forget to email your surf sins to myself or buck and we'll see you next week thanks for listening I think Joel Fitz has a couple of big 88s that Nicole Kimpin bought when he was coaching her, her kids how to surf. Some Hollywood money paid for this board. Whoa. Sorry, Nicole.